You're listening to Plasticity, making art from inherited waste, where your hosts, Griffin Nordstrom and me, Dominica Queen, talk about our ongoing work with waste plastics as an art medium. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about how we present plastic, how other people present plastic, and like what context it makes sense. Whether that's street art, a fine art, or folk art, because it sort of has elements coming from all sorts of those. As we sort of talked about a little bit, I began my sort of plastic art journey while I was in college, and I had a solo show, which was in a sort of mix between a business and a, like a small fine art gallery. So I was working in that sort of professional art attempting space, sort of like a critique space with the white walls and cement floor and the you had to hang it certain at a certain height and sort of make sure you have the right occupying flow space and sort of have a exact sort of presentation for you had to speak about it in a certain way as a part of the critique and be able to defend it in those sort of spaces and the question is really if that's the right space for it because coming out of college and coming out of that experience I've looked back at a lot of my photos at a lot of the ways presented them and I don't love those that documentation i've been at some points trying to sort of go back and actually take those pieces and recontextualize them rephotograph them with more busy backgrounds i've been making backdrops for actual pieces and sort of playing with that more because it feels more uh helpful to the piece and its story to be in more of a natural setting or a more pathetic <laughs> found on the street sort of setting yeah context is is so much of art of experiencing art and if the context is off i mean you get really different reactions if you i mean Mm -hmm. there are a lot of examples and for my personal context i did not mess with any plastic really anything I mean, I guess I cast some resin a couple of times for a sculpture class, but that was a side project in in school. So I did have some of that critique experience for artwork, but it was way before. I would say it was probably seven or eight years mm-hmm. in the background before I even started playing with art. Um in terms of having plastic and fiber arts and things like that and honestly i think that distance uh made me feel really disillusioned about the way that contemporary art on like the big stage is presented and people interact with it in galleries and museums so Mm -hmm. i very much by the time i was working with plastic i was very much like museums are dumb Let's (laughs) Let's <laughs> do all street art. All art should be public art. I mean, you know, that's not right. actually the full <laughs> picture of what I, I think we need a little bit of everything. But I was definitely in the space of I really want to make things that a lot of people can see and interact with. And that's honestly why I chose graphic design initially as my concentration because I didn't want to make something really fancy for like eight people to see. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, that it would be affecting and moving and stuff, but I didn't want to participate in that that particular economic structure. And I did not completely understand 
the economic structure of graphic design. So I was like, yeah, this seems better. Lots of people will see what I make. That sounds better. Um, it's got its <laughs> problems too, like everything. So, but yeah, I've seen plastic in a lot of contexts and some of it has been like, you just get such a different feel from how you present it. I think the, the way that I have presented my work most successfully was actually a very strange little experience that was barely planned. It was a pop-up show. Um, there, there's this place, there's this magical place amidst the <laughs> corn in Ohio called Souter Village. <laughs> and it is, uh, I don't know how to explain it. It's like, it is a tourist attraction, but it's a working farm and it's centered around um, craft and manufacturing from the region. And so mm -hmm. it was, Souter Village was started by this woodworker and it was like the family farm. And this woodworker slowly, uh, came across the idea of like I think he was the first or one of the first people to design like really nice flat pack furniture that could be shipped all over the country <laughs> so uh -huh. from that core there is like incredible craft happening in that place and it's expanded there's a um there's a smithy there are sheep that get their fleece turned into shawls there's uh, a mm -hmm. big quilt shop there's a glass works there's it's in i think there's a pottery there's a ton of stuff i <laughs> i was there the reason i was there is that they had a they have every year their annual rug hooking week which is like a big big like the world's biggest exhibit of hand hooked oh wow rugs and hand hooked work and mm -hmm. I got to go because I um, was recommended to me uh, and I applied for a, a grant through the state and received a grant to go travel to this place to, you know, learn some more about my craft. And, oh, my gosh, right. my brain was completely blown. But as a part of this... <laughs> I won't get too deep into it, but as a part of this, they had a little pop-up show for all of the rug hookers to come and show some of the stuff that maybe they were working on that week or just kind of hang out and look at each other's work. And uh, Just for context, how many people were at this thing and how big was this pop-up show sort of thing? So the pop-up show itself, I think um, about a dozen people came in and out, but they were all like rug hookers. So they were all like people who... Mm -hmm were actively in the craft which is a totally different vibe than random people who may or may not know right. what on earth you are doing uh <laughs> so it was really lovely but as far as the show itself oh my god i don't know several hundred people it was enormous wow it there were over 600 <laughs> rugs on display wow like That's a lot of rugs yeah we're talking like the insurance policy for this must have been in the millions of dollars is what i'm getting at <laughs> Okay, 
And because, of course, that's how my brain works. I'm, like, thinking logistics. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, insurance policy. Anyways, um, the, the, the wonderful little pop-up exhibit, everybody was just like, just bring your work. Uh, here are some tags to tag it and talk. And it was so nice because it was, like, in a context of, like, everybody sort of respecting the amount of work that goes into these types of things. And I had all of the work laid out on a table, and I kind of had a petting zoo. I was like, everybody Aww. touch it. I, I was like, they were like, oh my gosh, is that? I'm like, it's all plastic. They're like, it's plastic? I'm like, yes, it's plastic. And I was like, please touch <laughs> the art. And so we all hung out and touched the art and like looked at how things were hooked. And I got sage advice from a number of, of lovely people who also were in rug hooking. And that's what I feel like that is the most nourishing for me is to hang out with other craftspeople and right. like touch the work and actually examine how, like the construction <laughs> of it and stuff and look at the backs of things. And I just love that type of context. And I love looking at things in that context too. So like I would much rather go to a workshop to look at other people's work that they've brought with them then go to a gallery right. and see like the glorious thing ensconced with the lights <laughs> on it. But I don't know how well that works for sales or anything, but that's just, that's right. my heart space. So that's my favorite context for my stuff. <laughs> um, how about, how about you? I know that we talked a little bit about how you're running more towards like busy backgrounds and just building actually building context to document your work in yeah i have started i've i've sort of done a few little i've done i've shown my art in a several little contexts like i had the like the professional museum critique space sort of thing at my sculpture program because they like literally blocked off a part of our metal shop specifically mm -hmm. to have that space for us to shoot our work with like oh cool decent lighting i wouldn't say good lighting it was fluorescent it was good fluorescent bulbs but it was still you know fluorescent bulbs from the ceiling it wasn't that good but it was good so i had it in that context i had it i went to several like local arts walk sort of events which i think is more similar to yours obviously the people going around were not as informed or understanding or necessarily respectful of the amount of work that went in but sort of the same sort of display ideas mm -hmm. and then i had yeah. a more you know a more thought out a more you know I actually hung up stuff and like sort of got the time to design it with my solo show with all the spaces and where I would put things and balancing it all out. And I honestly can't say I cared for any of them that much. I liked my art in the solo show within the context of itself because it was sort of nice seeing the plastic sort of bounce off of each other. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, it just, it never really felt significant for mm -hmm. lack of a better word. Like it just felt so small and underdone like it just felt like i was it felt more like showing just a plastic bag at like like imagine going to a farmer's market and everyone's selling like their nice hand-baked loaves of bread or whatever and you just sort of show up with like tote bags you bought at walmart yeah like yeah. that's how it sort of felt <laughs> and it was just they never sold and it was never positive that definitely didn't help the positive opinion that I just didn't sell pieces mm, really yeah. those pieces I sold other pieces but never like I think I sold one plastic piece over the entire span maybe two but 
that didn't help it. But recently, especially with my, because I I think our general styles, I do mostly bigger things than you do. Like I do garments, f- larger size quilts generally, sort of install stuff going a lot more along the lines towards yeah. installation and like just those large pieces. Because I'm a six foot tall man, and I'm making garments only for myself. <laughs> So those garments are at minimum six foot tall. <laughs> yeah, those are six foot tall man garments. So they mm-hmm. are they are not small. So I'm sort of in that size scale. And I'm like, I want to get that. It's I can't, you know, just fake a little background, you know, like you can't just yeah. like, I can't like just buy like a board at Walmart and just sort of here's a nice white board. Here's my six foot tall of garment. I'll just fit it on that. It doesn't work. So I actually recently did i've been struggling with that honestly for months i was like you know maybe if i did it like if i was sort of crawling out of a dumpster like <laughs> and i was sort of <laughs> that, that would the fuck so cool. <laughs> that would be fun like one of the first garments i made was like this sort of club kid like club kid very like very very revealing very like i went to a club and i got black out and then my idea for I was going to do a whole photo shoot of it where it was like, it looked like I was, for those people who know Western University, they have this whole PRT system that mm-hmm. has this whole concrete stuff. It's, it's beautiful and it's hideous in all the ways. I was going to like do this whole photo shoot thing where it was like, I blacked out and woke up on this like cement ramp to the PRT and like the walk of shame through the university, some of the university buildings. I was going to do that whole thing with it or just like, that sort of context of wearing a those garments and that sort of yeah on the sh- on the street or going to a like a state park or something to get like on that nature thing so it's like the plastic bag found in the trees and stuff i was gonna like i was thinking of all that stuff but i was just like i don't it's not one i didn't feel extremely safe wearing these more feminine or gender neutral garments in rural ish west virginia and also, I just didn't feel like the visuals would just fit. So I was like, I was just sort of sitting on these garments being like, I need a photo shoot. Three, now four, now five garments. And I just have no <laughs> idea what to do. But then I decided, I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to make a backdrop. Like, that's the perfect idea. And just make it out of plastic. And I've recently finished that. And I sort of did a combo of a couple of garments that I wasn't fully finished with yet just to get the sort of full look together. And mm-hmm. I took... And I took some, I had, literally, I had my phone propped up on a tripod, shoved between, like, a curtain rack and the ceiling to get the thing to stay and, like, get the right cropping <laughs> done. And yeah. I just screenshotted the video, and it's terrible quality photos, like, super grainy. And I have never felt more accomplished or in love or excited to look at the photos of my art ever. That's so great. I am, I adore those photos so much. See, like, I, I, I love that, and I think that it's really, I think that it's a side effect of using this medium. Part of the point of using it is that it is discarded and viewed as waste and trash and something undesirable and something that is so ubiquitous and something that, like, if you see a plastic bag on the side of the road, it's just like with all the other 
litter and your eyes kind of glass over it and you don't like Mm -hmm. it is this you know found object that we're completely surrounded by and so you kind of have to make the context for it because like if you put it in the wrong context it just looks like oh it's a piece of trash that you did some things to cool right and i hate that feeling because it's like no think about it here for a minute (laughs) <laughs> but I really like just think about what you just said. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what that thing is, and you're seeing a ball gown made out of it. There's yeah. some construction there, there's some effort there, but it just doesn't feel that way for some reason. Yeah. And I think that like maybe it'll change over time because, you know, we um, like we don't have a ton of other plastic artists. Like a lot of people will dabble in it for effect mm-hmm. for some things or other things there are a few that i've found on instagram that i'm being shy about talking to <laughs> but <laughs> at the same time like it's not so like bleeding edge revolutionary to take a piece of discarded plastic and turn it into something i mean you hear about all of these uh crochet projects um where people will take plastic bags and crochet like sleeping mats for the unhoused and you know you have like if you google precious plastics there's an entire organization dedicated to um chipping and melting different kinds of plastics into a state where they can be uh reused as functional objects and occasionally art objects and things like that so it's not like so brand Mm -hmm. new but especially i think regionally it's um there's enough of a disconnect that it if you put it in that sterile gallery context unless it's like a big installation you're really taking over the space it's it's hard because people want to see a painting or a tapestry that is made out of perhaps threads that are non-synthetic or a sculpture (laughs) that is cast out of metal there are certain expectations in that context and it's just it's yeah there's there's a certain expectation of being sort of unreachable like just i couldn't go out there and create that sculpture but with the plastic bags it sort of seems that way and i think maybe a part of it is you know the plastic artists who are like have actually ha- achieved that level of fame and, like, notoriety. Like, I think of Naros in, like, middle school or high school, and it was, like, we're going to do a project, and we're going to, like, achieve project. It's, like, where people go to the beaches or stuff and just pick up that plastic waste and then sort of put all the colors together and stuff to create, like, Hokusai's The Great Wave. But it's out of plastic I found on the beach, and that sort of view of stuff. And mm-hmm. that stuff's beautiful, and, and it's great, and it's a different sort of way to use plastic in an interesting way. But then... When people look at that, you know, you say, you know, okay, if I had 40 chunks of blue plastic and a craft glue gun or whatever, I can produce that as well. And that sort of mentality transitions to the plastic where it's just like, yeah, go get five minutes at Walmart. I have everything I need to produce that. And And there is a learning level to it. Yeah. And they're like, oh, the material is not even expensive. So what is this for? Yeah. People calculate value in a very Mm -hmm. strange way. They're like... Okay, so people are used to thinking about value in time in terms of uh, labor plus materials equals uh, 
cost of goods sold and then you mark it up at a certain rate and that's how and that's how the economy turns right (laughs) but yeah yeah so you have to put in so many hours of just trying to figure out the thing before you even get a single piece out and with the way that you and i work even with training even with assistance uh even with mentorship you know you're always doing something a little bit new because using repurposed and Mm -hmm. reclaimed materials is always a little bit uh difficult i mean you ask any woodworker who's ever tried to harvest boards from uh, a barn and you know i mean like reclaimed lumber is like a whole industry because it requires a different set of skills and considerations in order to actually be able to get something out of it so yeah i it's very tiresome to be like oh i could have made that i'm like yeah go do it that's the other thing too though (laughs) one of the reasons that i do so much fiber artwork is that i really want people to make a lot of art like i Mm -hmm. am not as obsessed about being seen although being seen is part of spreading the word and talking about these ideas and having those conversations in the public eye but what i'm really interested in (laughs) is getting other people (laughs) to um you know like fight over what colors of plastic bag (laughs) is available in the neighborhood and just make weird stuff like it's such an accessible material and especially when you're talking fiber art your your main studio equipment is like an iron and a sewing machine mine i have some hooks and i have some backing cloth which is a little bit more expensive but still it's just like to get started if you just want to crochet or embroider i mean i can make all kinds of huge projects theoretically with just like a big quilt embroidery hoop and right a big enough cruel needle and that's like five dollars maybe ten dollars yeah and it's zero dollars if you have a friend (laughs) <laughs> that doesn't want their stuff anymore you know right. so and, yeah and i just it's... yeah whenever i started plastic i didn't have a cost of supplies whatsoever because yeah if you use a sewing machine you can use a sewing machine but realistically to do any sort of quilting and stuff you need any needle thread and a clothes iron and some parchment paper you know That's like it. all those things you can find in your house and all those things you can find at Walmart and the things you could buy, all the stuff you need to make 30 plastic quilts, I would say under 20 bucks. Easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then like people take that as an excuse to not think about it deeply, which mm-hmm. is why it feels so awkward in these finer art concept co- contexts right now. But I have right. seen some plastic in fine art context that I feel like worked really well. I can't remember um, the name of this person, but they did um, crocheted pieces, and Mm -hmm. they were enormous. I mean, I'm talking like (laughs) 16 feet square, and they were hung in like a huge gallery space, and just the scale of it was really, really imposing and interesting in a basic way it was one of those wonderful things that like hits you several times like you look at it and go wow dang 
that's interesting and that is objectively interesting and large and colorful what on earth is that oh <laughs> oh my goodness it's plastic it's crochet oh oh my goodness mm. it's it's plastic bags and then <laughs> if you can hang on to people for just that long then they actually start to consider some of the things that you might be wanting to relay or that you might have been exploring when you were making that piece and i think that like you going in and making the context that will allow people to engage with it just a little bit longer is a really smart thing to do. I mean, my stuff is pretty little most of the time, but I'm working on my first big installation right now. I'm so excited And I'm for just it. like, I want, I want to hang on to people for just a little bit. I want it to right. have that, that strange, have that like full-blown aesthetic effect and then oh, what is that made of? And then, oh, what does this mean? Et cetera, et cetera. And then they can always read an artist statement. But I have to say that I'm not the biggest fan of artist statements, but I will rant about that another day. <laughs> yeah, I I write a good artist statement. I hate listening and I hate reading them. So I don't, <laughs> don't want to rely on that in any way or sort of Im ex Im assume or like, just sort of be like, yeah, you just have to read it. If I'm not going to read it if I was the other person, you know? Yeah. So that's sort of like a I, – I wonder if, like, plastic – because, like, I'm thinking about, like, street art, fine art, folk art, just very bare bones breaking it down. I wonder if plastic would really find its home in, like, an outsider art sort of context. Like, in Baltimore, they have, like, the – I can never remember the name of it. It's, like – outsider visionary art museum or something and it's basically artists who were not traditionally trained they didn't go to like the art school or whatever but then they started producing stuff and it's you imagine there's a bit of folk art sort of vibe things yeah. in there but there's also people who do mosaics and stuff but they just didn't receive that professional training and they didn't receive that sort of art has to be like this to be successful or it has to be presented like this and i yeah. feel like plastic would fit a lot more in that space because the fact of the matter is at least with my plastic work it doesn't make sense in the domestic space i you know i make a giant plastic quilt that halfway goes onto the floor and i part of the design is i want people to stomp on it like yeah. just act, all, just non-thinking non-purposely just wander on top of it and get like just boot tracks on the fancy threading i do that doesn't make sense in your kitchen or your no. living room or any reasonable household so i wonder if maybe that sort of museum but like tilt at 40 degrees or whatever sort of context yeah. is right for plastic see and that's I sort like, of where i'm at yeah like more contemporary outsider spaces that are not like collectors mm -hmm. galleries necessarily i feel like those are the places that i feel most at home visiting anyway yes you know like those places where yeah. it's like this is the wilderness of art <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. this is this is where things get like refined in a way that you wouldn't expect this is where all of the ideas are coming to play and this is where some rules are broken yeah like i like i like a I like a good rule breaking like <laughs> i keep thinking about this there's this residency that i keep thinking about that's in portland but i don't really want to go to portland <laughs> but it's a it's a it's a residency it's an artist residency at the dump 
it's like you have studio space and you can get all the trash you want and you can make whatever you want and you Ooh. have some talks about it and i'm just like oh that would be so fun i wish they had that closer to here maybe that we need to make sound that fun i'm sure some that, some of the waste management people might could, be bored enough to say yes to that <laughs> you know uh, but, yeah like somehow make that arranged <laughs> yeah but it's just like that type of stuff that type of mm-hmm. slightly subver- subversive very highly accessible stuff like i just one of the things that uh one of the projects that rattles around in my head that i have never actually put together the time and the right pieces to do is i really love a parade um and not even a parade maybe even just a fashion show or something but i love people people Mm -hmm. trotting around in fun costumes or like a costume walk or just something like that but like plastics like a big plastic float and big plastic puppets and it's just i've absolutely thought about this yes yeah and it just makes it i don't know so much more i say accessible but i think really what i'm getting at is visible you know so interactable in like more more accurate it almost seems like the word's material like you put a plastic op- like a plastic art piece in like the very sterile museum like white walls white floor space and it just so it doesn't feel the object that somehow is in context I could see a plastic bag in the middle of like Mount Zion National Park and it would somehow still kind of be like, yeah, that makes sense. But you see it in like a space like that and it just, it doesn't fit. No matter what it is, yeah. it just doesn't feel like it fits. But in like that very interactive space, like for me, whenever I'm thinking about that stuff, I'm thinking like for me, less of a parade, more like a Venetian sort of carnival, like that just eccentric, yeah. like sort of presentation of life and that sort of vibe and pageantry to me just really fits with plastic and this has me excited about so in west virginia in the town of helvetia which is this small swiss town with like that really follows those old traditions people may know it from Mm -hmm. fallout 76 where there's stuff about it in that game but they're having this (laughs) event called foschnacht in february in a couple in a few weeks from now we're recording this and Basically, it's the thing where you burn Old Man Winter, which is this whole effigy. There's a giant burn pile and stuff. I've never been to it, but I'm going to it this year. And I have actually created – people make masks and they go to it. Usually, people do like a papier-mâché sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I have created a plastic mask and a plastic costume, sort of cowboy, sort of mysterious uh, European, like the mysterious stranger, fan of the opera sort of vibe. Uh-huh. Some blend of those things, and I am I am very much hoping weather dependent to go very much in that plastic environment and really do a trial run in many ways, but of that sort of idea of just presenting the plastic in a very light human way. Yeah, and I think that that also nods to like where our materials are coming from, too. Right. You know, you know, it's like so much better to eat like a peach pie in a peach orchard than it is to eat 
a peach pie anywhere else on earth you know like (laughs) it just makes more sense you can feel it it's in the air i i love that and i um yeah i i just really like shifting the context because okay have you ever um seen like specimens as far as like maybe say a pinned insect or you know taxidermy birds things like that whenever you take a piece of like plastic art like the kind that we've been making which is kind of like a little craft a little folk a little contemporary a little bit of everything Mm -hmm. a little eco art and you take that and then you put it in the environment that you were describing from like your university setting or that people are familiar with, you know, from a white walls gallery setting. It really feels like you, you went and you got a butterfly and you gassed it and you put a pin in it and you stuck it on a wall. It's, <laughs> it's completely out of its context <laughs> and it is for mm-hmm. study only, you know. Right. Uh, yes. Is it beautiful? Yes, maybe, but the intention is collection and cataloging. And for me, I've always had a problem with like framing and hanging work and putting it in a gallery context. I've always disliked that. Even when you talk about graphic design, like I don't want my poster in a museum. I want my poster half torn up on a subway somewhere looking interesting with graffiti <laughs> on it. That's where I want my poster. Okay. Whenever you put it in that, like, sort of framed context, it has a level of refinement that kind of kills it for me. Like, there's this context Mm -hmm. of death. And, I mean, I know that some of the subjects that we talk about regarding plastic is, like, climate crisis and all kinds of life-threatening things, but it's still within the context of living and fighting and struggles and so forth. And whenever it's, like, put in that little cube... In a little box, the little glass cube where no one's allowed to touch it. It feels like, okay, we are at the end of the life cycle. This is the end of the life cycle. Right. It's done. I could see and what you're just, saying. It yeah, feels like, off to yeah. me. Um, and it then, feels like it would fit, but only whenever we're done. Like, after my death or whatever, or like one piece of everything I've made can go into that space as like a symbol, but the rest of it yeah. shouldn't. Yeah. Who knows, right? Well, and the other thing, uh, <laughs> if we can talk about, like, the smaller doodads. So I make um, some right. functional objects, too. Like, I make little wallets and uh, bags and things like that because, of course, graphic design, a functional object is comforting to me, okay? Sometimes it's just comfortable to make something that I know somebody's going to use. But, like, <laughs> I love the idea of having like plastic come back as an aesthetic but in a recycled format so like you know how stuff is coming back from like the 60s and 70s i don't know which trend cycle we're on at this point i've seen them all come back like five or ten times but you know whenever (laughs) we come back to the 60s and 70s with these big bell pants and these bright colors like you used in um the uh solo show you did with like the nursery environment like 
bringing that back in a way that's natural and recycled and in people's houses like that all that idea also tickles me so like imagining like <laughs> a big shaggy uh brightly colored wall hanging that's been like hand tufted or latch hooked but instead of it being your typical um like a natural fiber like probably wool or cotton etc instead of that it's plastic and it's recycled plastic <laughs> you know and it's right. like oh hey you remember the plastic from the 70s yeah it's back <laughs> it's back by the longest route possible <laughs> so like i've been i've been making little plastic wallets and uh i'm trying to make some smaller i would say medium-sized wall pieces that have that funky texture mm -hmm. of the hooked rug and oh. it's just like pulling some aesthetics from that actually my aesthetic sense usually it's more like 50s to 60s than 60s to 70s so it's like <laughs> right about to leave that art deco art nouveau zone we're just heading right. out of that that's usually when i doodle and nobody's telling me what to doodle that's what comes out you know uh and so i'm just thinking about like all of these vintage looking plastic objects that actually could inhabit the same space as other people like in in people's like everyday lives just like hanging on their walls and that that delights me in a different way but i just love <laughs> the idea of being able to move plastic from context to context honestly after this conversation, the only context that feels kind of off really is that museum gallery context that isn't outsider art, that's not contemporary, you know? Right. It does feel just... Even if it's surrounded by pieces that are in that same family, it just feels very... Uh, off. It just feels off. Yeah, and I don't know if that... Like, for a while, I've been trying to decide if that's something that I want to... If, if that's a hill I want to die on and personally tackle people's expectations in that realm and be like, no, it belongs here. <laughs> because I think, you know, uh, uh, places should generally be more accessible and... Right. The weirder the stuff in the place, the better. You're going to have a more interesting time. I would like to see all art available. Please and thank you. But, right, exactly. but at the same time, like, whenever I make something, I am almost never thinking about it hung in a gallery, unless it's a type of space that I can really take over. And then I'm not thinking about it hung in the gallery. I want my work stepped on, too. Like, I want I want right. something to happen. I want to have a petting zoo for the, the rugs that I'm making, because half the fun is the weird texture, right? Like, the texture of plastic yeah. is so satisfying. In like that it's crinkly satisfying way. and um, yeah it's it's satisfying to play with and like you know i like touching like a canvas that's been painted like very thickly and just sort of rubbing my finger across it mm -hmm. but like plastic i like to grab it i like to squeeze it i like to move it around there's a lot of different things i want to do with plastic whereas i don't want to you know squeeze a can squeeze an acrylic painting you know i don't want to yeah. like sort of grind it between my fingers because that that's not good that doesn't <laughs> yeah. it doesn't end well <laughs> yeah that doesn't end well it's not supposed to be patted but yeah but i feel like plastic whenever like plastic has been and can be patted like <laughs> it's it's fine <laughs> like what are you gonna do to it i mean i know sometimes the stitching and the seams gets really delicate 
But, like, other than the potential for ripping seams, which are joins that we introduced to the process, what are you going to do to it? Right. Like, it's it's already yeah. garbage. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, how are your plastic bag stockpile stuff doing? I think that I am going to be searching for the color green for the rest of my life. <laughs> I still need green bags. That makes sense. I need more green bags. And even if I somehow end up with more green bags than I would really like for this most recent tree project, I, it's my favorite color. Mm-hmm. So, so right. I don't think I'm ever going to have too many green bags. Everything else is pretty good, though. <laughs> my, oh, purple. If anybody comes across purple bags, I oh, have maybe purple. four purple bags total, and I only use them for embroidery, and that's it. Purple is so perfect. Yeah. I love a purple. How about you? How's your stock doing? Right now, my plastic stuff is I'm good. Like, I've been pivoting a bit to actually going back to my fabric stuff. I, I impulse bought, I think it was a five gallon bag of vintage uh neckties and then they came in and about i would say 80 percent of them were super wide or wide ties which is not a tie i wear Mm -hmm. because no so i'm gonna be taking i would say probably three to four pounds of necktie fabric some of them i will be cutting to actually be wearables but some of them like I don't like this pattern. I don't need this pattern. I'm just going to be cutting that and making that fabric and using the fabric. So, you know, vintage recycling fabric as opposed to plastic. So Mm -hmm. that's a level of stock I have right now that I'm going to try and work (laughs) through some of it before I start opening floodgates for more material because I did that to myself. (laughs) (laughs) That's fun, though. Like, that's another thing. The the temptation – well, not the temptation. The ability – to move back to fabrics because I, because neither of us really started with fabric. We both started fiber right. art with plastic, and now it's like, well, I know how to do that. Maybe I'll make myself a shirt tomorrow. Like, you know? <laughs> it's like, huh? Yeah. It's and like I'll, a consistent dialogue. Yeah, exactly. So I applaud, I applaud your yeah. new tie stash, <laughs> your new old tie stash. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You can find Domenica on Instagram at madartsy, that's M-A-D-A-R-T-S-C-I, and Griffin on Instagram at North River Art, that's N-O-R-T-H-R-I-V-E-R-A-R-T. If you would like to contribute any interesting or colorful plastic bags to our projects, please mail them to Plasticity Podcast, P.O. Box 7379, Cross Lanes, West Virginia, 25313.